I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A woman's report of a sexual assault ends with her arrest for a violent felony. Did she really commit these crimes, or was she framed by an angry ex-lover? This is the Simona Sumasar story. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Megan. How are you today? I'm great. This case is kind of a wild one. It was covered by Dateline a while back. You know, like I'm a Dateline, obviously, fanatic. Yep. And I remembered it. I remember it actually pretty vividly. So I came across it again on a replay and I went, oh, my goodness, this case. I can't believe I even forgot about it. Then it brought it back to me. Then I started doing the deep dive, which I wanted, you know, of course, for this episode. And I kind of wanted to cover this story for two reasons. Um, One, because it brings up very interesting theories on the extremes a person will go to to get what they want. And two, this case really showcases the subsequent flaws in our justice system that might allow people to get away with these kind of extremes and these acts of revenge. So it's complicated, it's wild, and it's a bizarre story. So I'm just letting you know, buckle up. I've never heard of the case. And I always like bringing you ones that you haven't heard of. So let's meet Simona. Simona Sumasar was born in South America's Guyana to a family who owned a taxi company. She immigrated to the United States with her family in 1987 as a teenager and attended high school in the U.S. and then went on to attend two semesters of college, although she never finished her degree. However, um, Simona was 
able to obtain a very lucrative job working as a financial analyst for Morgan Stanley. Through her work as an analyst, she was able to purchase a multifamily residence in Queens, New York, and a Golden Crust restaurant franchise in Richmond Hill, New York, which is Queens. And that was in 2005. You've heard of the Golden Crust restaurants, right? Absolutely. I think they're local to Manhattan area, right? Weren't they local to Long Island, too? I don't know. Like I know Queens it's a New York and... thing. Yeah. All right. So, you know, she's pretty sorry, accomplished. I'm still, sorry. I'm, I'm caught on the fact that she was able to get a job with Morgan Stanley as a financial advisor without finishing school. That's incredible. I thought it was, too. So she's a financial analyst. And so I'm not sure what the qualifications were at that time. Also, a different time frame, 2005. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty damn impressive. And she was a hard worker. I mean, she worked at the restaurant most mornings until the early afternoon. Then she'd go to her analyst job for like the after pretty much the whole day, afternoon to early evening. And then she'd go back to her restaurant. She did this. Um, she worked both jobs until 2008, so for about three years, when she finally left her job at Morgan Stanley to become a full-time owner at Golden Crust. I think she was going all in on it. Simona was a 34-year-old single mother to her 12-year-old daughter at the time of the events we'll discuss today at her restaurant in 2006. Simona met a man by the name of Jerry Ramradin, and a then 37-year-old Jerry said that he worked in security, though he had once been a police officer. So this, were, this was his claim. Simona said that he was charming and friendly, and they got along very well. Um, he became somewhat of a fixture around this restaurant. He often helped her out there, so much so that people assumed early on that they were a couple, that he owned the restaurant with her. But they did develop a relationship. And in 2007, a year, about a year after they met, Jerry moved in with Simona and her daughter, to that multifamily residence in Queens, New York. Simona says that she and Jerry had a beautiful romance in the beginning, but she noticed that Jerry told lies. Throughout the course of their relationship, she'd caught him in some small fibs, and I think that as these lies began to accumulate, her trust began to dwindle, and this is how she described it. She said, like, wow, he would tell these lies, and I almost thought, like, did he believe them? But Simona was hit by an absolute bombshell in 2008 when she got a call from a woman she did not know. The woman claimed, Amy, that she was Jerry's wife and that the pair had three children together. Oh, no. Simona was obviously flabbergasted in complete shock, and she confronted Jerry right away. Jerry denied anything about it at first, but later conceded that he was actually married and had three children. According to Jerry, though, this was an arranged marriage for green card purposes and the pair were estranged. Yet he still didn't think to mention the wife or three children to his girlfriend. That's a problem. Not a good sign. That's a red flag. A red flag. That was the final straw for Simona, just so you know. She was done. Like I said, she had noticed that he lied and, and fibbed. I think she was questioning, too, if he was ever really a police officer and what he actually did for work because he said he did security and then it was security consulting. It was always a little kind of a little shady to her. So when she found this out and when he admitted to it, she told him it was over. And then she told him to pack his bags and leave. But Jerry asked if he could stay for a couple of weeks to find a new place to live. Essentially, you know, he didn't have anywhere to go. So Simona complied. 
But Jerry moved his stuff down to the basement where he would sleep from the time when he looked for a new place. Simona said she made it very clear that the relationship was over and that he could simply stay for a couple of weeks until he found a new residence. Why couldn't he go back home to his family? He couldn't live there? Well, I think the pair were really estranged. Oh, gotcha. Okay. To some degree, you know, <laughs> I don't think it was a happy relationship. And I'm, I'm sure even if they weren't, once his wife found out that he was living with his girlfriend for quite some time, you know, there had to be some type of estrangement. I don't think either relationship was happy. So Jerry asked if he could stay for a couple of weeks, but a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months and Jerry was still living in Simona's residence. And the thing is, Simona said Jerry didn't appear to be making any plans to leave. It also didn't seem that he accepted that Simona broke up with him. Simona said he still kind of would talk like they were a pair and it angered her a lot and frustrated her a lot that he seemed to be discussing, you know, things like they were still together, which wasn't the case for her. And Amy, it had been late in 2008 when she had given him a couple of weeks, you know, to live. But 2008 eventually gave way to 2009 and Jerry was still there. By March 8th, 2009, Simona had had it with Jerry's squatting and she told him it was time that he had to get out immediately. Jerry reportedly became enraged over this and he grabbed Simona, restrained her. Um, he turned her around and bound her wrists together behind her back with duct tape and dragged her to the bedroom. This is very strange. First of all, I don't know how close a proximity he was to duct tape, but he was able to restrain her until he could get duct tape and wrap her hands. He dragged her to her bedroom. And then this is very weird. He put her in the bed, but he spent the rest of the day trying to convince her to take him back. Like he was trying to reason with her while restraining her. Yeah. Was her daughter around at this time? No, because even though Simona was a single mother, um, her daughter w did spend time with her father as well. Gotcha. So according to Simona, it was a very bizarre day because Jerry had restrained her and had her sitting in the bed, but he left her there all day. She said that at times Jerry would be calm and would be doing seemingly normal things like watching TV eating lunch. And then when Simona, I mean, she was really enraged and she would not agree to take him back. And when she would not agree, apparently at one point, Jerry got mad and he took out a gun. Now, according to Simona, Jerry never threatened her with a gun. Instead, he kept pointing the barrel at his own head while Simona pleaded with him not to shoot himself in her house. This is very strange. So at one point, Simona tried to get off the bed. OK, this was, I guess, after a long day after, you know, he had pulled out a gun and I think she had just had it. But Jerry grabbed her and he dragged her down to the basement where he sexually assaulted her. Following the assault, Jerry began crying and apologizing to Simona, begging her not to report it to the police. According to Simona, she told Jerry that he, quote, should have used the gun. Jerry left the house after that, and Simona called 911 immediately to report the assault. The police came. Simona underwent a forensic medical exam, and the police arrested Jerry. But he denied the charges, saying that the sex had been consensual, and it turned into a he-said-she-said case, basically. Jerry was able to make bail, so he was released from jail while he awaited trial, Simona reported that Jerry called her during this time, begging her to drop the charges and pleading with her to think about his children. She didn't get a restraining order? She, I think she did have a restraining order, yeah. Um, I think he, he was, you'll see, he was clever about it. So basically, Simona told him never to contact her again. While she did get a restraining order, Amy, 
Jerry was pretty clever. He found a way around the order. Uh, He would send family members and friends into Simona's restaurant to warn her that if she didn't drop the charges, her life would be very unpleasant. But after that phone call, he never made direct contact with Simona, and that's how he got around the restraining order. Though Simona reported all of these incidents to the police, they said they couldn't do anything since the restraining order was only for Jerry and he wasn't physically coming to her property or making contact with her. Jerry's threats, even if they were delivered through other people, were not empty, and Simona's life would indeed become very unpleasant. Because on May 21st, 2010, Simona was driving through Queens to her restaurant when she was pulled over by Long Island detectives. Now, why would Long Island detectives be pulling her over in Queens? Queens is a city borough, right? They wouldn't tell her initially, but she was taken to a Nassau County police station and she was questioned about her whereabouts on several dates. Simona was terrified during this ordeal. She had no idea why she was being questioned by the police. But during that interview, Simona was Mirandized and, you know, meaning that she was read her Miranda rights and made aware of the fact that she did not have to speak to the police. However, she went ahead and she did speak with them. She was interviewed for approximately eight hours and she was cooperative, but she was completely shocked when she found out that she was the number one suspect in a string of armed robberies. So how did that come about? How did Simona, this, you know, otherwise hardworking mother who had never been in trouble with the law, come to be a suspect in violent felonies? I could take a wild guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, you could. On May 19th, 2010, a woman by the name of Luce Johnson called 911 reporting that she had been pulled over by two police officers, one female and the other male. She claimed that the officers had shields, firearms and bulletproof vests. But it turns out they weren't police officers at all. They were actually thieves. And the pair allegedly robbed Luce Johnson of $1,400 in cash. And she was apparently, Amy, the third victim to call in a string of similar robberies that had occurred around the same time. That's more than a robbery. That's impersonating an officer. That carries a much greater charge. Absolutely. Luce Johnson described the female officer as a petite Indian or Hispanic female and claimed that she heard the perpetrators call each other by the names Sim and Elvis. Now, why is this significant? Well, Sim, Simona, Mm -hmm. and Elvis was apparently a new boyfriend of Simona's. She also claimed that she had caught the license plate of the Jeep Cherokee the thieves had been driving. And guess who this Cherokee belonged to? I would have to guess Simona. Correct. Simona Sumasar. Luce Johnson also called the police again early in the morning of May 21st, 2010 to report that her car had been broken into and that, guess what? She got the license plate again of the parties who were fleeing the scene. The police traced this license plate back to a Nissan Maxima that belonged to Simona's new boyfriend who had loaned her the vehicle for a few weeks, which is why Long Island detectives believed her to be the prime suspect in these armed robberies. The police brought the three victims who called in these robberies to, I would say they called them into a photo lineup, but actually that's not really true. They brought them a photo lineup because, you know, Amy, sometimes the police will actually bring, instead of bringing you into the station, they'll bring you the photograph lineup. Mm -hmm. All three of these victims identified Simona as the female perpetrator. So things were not looking good here. Simona was charged with impersonating a police officer, illegal possession of a firearm, and multiple counts of armed robbery. 
And after the three victims testified in front of a grand jury, Simona was officially indicted. So the charges were going forward. And if convicted, Simona was facing up to 25 years in prison. She was placed in detention or she was put in jail and she was given a $1 million bail, which she could not make. But was Simona really a violent felon? Would a restaurant owner and residential landlord really have a motive to rob people? Well, detectives believe that Simona did have motive. You see, they had questioned Jerry after the evidence came in since he had been very close to Simona. And Jerry told law enforcement that Simona was struggling financially at the restaurant, so much so that it was failing and that she had a tax debt. Jerry claimed that Simona actually put him in charge of the day-to-day operations and then sold him the business because of her financial problems. I mean, is there documents to back up all of these claims? That's a really good question, and we're going to get to that. There will be. Simona adamantly denied such claims, saying that she never sold her restaurant to Jerry or to anyone else. And if there was proof of the sale, which Jerry said he had, it didn't necessarily mean that the sale was real. So, yes, there was going to be some proof, Amy, but it would be disputed whether or not the proof was, you know, original documentation who signed it, that kind of thing. At this point, though, Jerry told detectives that this was all part of the reason, by the way, that Simona accused him of sexual assault. This was his new story. She'd accused him of sexual assault in an effort to sabotage him so she could get her restaurant back. (laughs) That sounds a little far-fetched. Everyone thought Simona was guilty here. The police thought they had the right person. But Simona had an alibi for the Luce Johnson call. Remember the first, uh, that woman who called in the 911 call and then Mm -hmm. called in a second one? Her alibi was pretty good, I thought, too, Amy. It was one that would put her too far away to have committed the crime. On that time, on that May 19th, 2010 evening, when Luce Johnson called 911, Simona had been at Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut with one of her family members, which is a pretty good alibi. I would imagine they have receipts and CCTV. Exactly. Isn't that enough to drop the case? You would think so. But so the surveillance footage, which you can look up, Uh, showed a woman who looked a lot like Simona walking around the casino, but it's a little grainy. So you one could say, all right, that's that's, you know, maybe not her. But Amy, they also had her family member who attested to the trip. Yeah, that's a family member. But they've got her cell phone records and her cell phone records are all over that casino. So let me guess they're going to say that her cell phone was there, but she wasn't. You know what? You would think this would be enough to exonerate her. The police didn't agree. They thought, well, the video's too grainy. There could be an alternate explanation for the cell phone. Maybe someone else had it. And they thought, really, just the weight of the evidence against her was very damning. Is this confirmation bias at all here or no? It sounds like they had tunnel vision from the beginning. So they're only, as you said, confirmation bias. They're only looking at the evidence that confirms their theory and they're ignoring anything to the contrary. I think so, too. I mean, the cell phone evidence is pretty strong. And actually, I saw the video. I think it's a little grainy, but I can tell it's her. I I don't think there's, you know, I think it was enough for the police to be like, "Um, yeah, this is very questionable. Meanwhile, Simone is still in jail because she couldn't afford to pay the million dollar bail. And according to her, she thought once they had this information about the casino, she thought she was in the clear. Wouldn't you agree that a million dollars is a little high for the type of charges? That sounds like more like a murder charge. It absolutely does. It's very high, especially for you have to consider this woman has no record. 
She has good standing in the community. I thought it was very high. I don't know if it's because it was a series of these charges, maybe the impersonating a police officer, but it's too, it's high. It's very high. What it really sounds like to me is de facto preventive detention. They didn't want her to get out. So they, you know, made a high bail that she couldn't afford. So at this point, Simona says she's stuck. You know, what could she do? She presented evidence, she thought. Nobody seemed to believe her. And she's sitting in jail. And throughout this whole ordeal, Simona was adamant that Jerry had to be behind these allegations and her arrest. But the police just weren't listening. They weren't hearing it. And let me tell you, Jerry Ramratton, I'll get into it later, but he was known to the police as well. Simona waited in jail for months, but shortly before Christmas, a new witness came forward and the information she provided would change everything. This woman told the police that her boyfriend was involved in a plot to frame Simona for armed robbery. The informant's boyfriend, drumroll, was none other than Jerry Ramratton. And in fact, the informant stated that these robberies, get this, they weren't even real. There were no robberies. Oh, I see. So the people that were harassing Simone at work are probably the same people that are coming forward. So he must be paying off. He either has some real close friends or family and or he's paying people off. The calls, the testimony, the evidence, they were all fake. Wow. And there were cell phone records to support this woman's claims. The evidence linked all three alleged robbery victims to one another, which is it's crazy. I just want to say the Loose Johnson 911 call, if you listen to it, this woman is hysterical. She is so convincing. You would absolutely believe that she had just been robbed. Although I wondered at that one point, was it just a coincidence that she had $1,400 in cash on her? I was going to ask before, like, who carries that much cash on them? Right. And how do you get that quote? How do you get that quote lucky if you're going to pull over a random car? That's what I thought. I thought it was a lot of cash to be carrying. And someone got really lucky if they pulled over someone with that much cash. Because think about it this way. If someone pulled me over right now and tried to, you know, for an armed robbery, the most they would get out of my wallet is ever going to be $20 at this point. Mm hmm. True. Right? And maybe a few gift cards. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's actually true. So the police went and questioned all three of these people. And guess what happened? They all confessed to being involved, implicating Jerry Ramratton as the mastermind in exchange for... Exchange for immunity. <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? Well, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And testimony. Um, yeah. So they received short jail stints in terms of probation, but very short. They got off very lightly here for, you know, the crimes that they committed. And after this information was verified, Simona was freed. But Amy, she'd served seven months in jail for a crime she didn't commit. We talk about this often. Can you imagine sitting in jail for seven months knowing you're innocent? Megan, there are people that have sat on death row for three decades innocent and did not receive any compensation. So I'm not very surprised. No, no, I'm not surprised at all. And certainly other people have it much worse. However, you know, Simona lost a lot during that time. But at this point, at least the police, they have Jerry, okay? They arrested Jerry, and he was charged with the conspiracy to frame Simona as well as her sexual assault from the previous charge. Yes. Did she lose her business during that time? Yes, she did. She lost her business. She lost her daughter. She lost, you know, mm -hmm. money, the time. Yep. Yeah, she lost everything. Mm -hmm. So what do you think happened when they arrested Jerry? Did he fold like a house of cards and admit to being involved? Nope. 
He denied it. Absolutely. He adamantly denied any of his crimes. And he was jailed. But would there be a trial? Well, what do you think, Amy? Yes, because I think he's too stubborn to admit guilt. You absolutely know it. Jerry would not accept a plea because he maintained his innocence. And in November 2011, the trial against Jerry Ramradden commenced. The prosecutor alleged that Jerry was angry and that he wanted revenge after Simona kicked him out. And certainly after she reported the sexual assault to authorities, Simona had to take the stand, sharing all the details of what Jerry had done to her. But she did so bravely. She remained stoic. Later reports from spectators said that Simona appeared genuine, strong, and credible. The prosecution, it, this was interesting, Amy. I just, I pointed it out before, but they, they tried him together for the sexual assault and for the conspiracy to frame Simona, which was kind of an interesting that they consolidated these charges. Um, well, it and, saves, and, it's, I think it's a way to save time and money and also jurors are influenced. They're more likely to find someone guilty when there's multiple charges like that. That's a good point. Yeah. The prosecution presented medical evidence from Simona's sexual assault exam as well. Uh, Jerry's semen had been collected and a report showed that she had marks on her wrist. Remember from that duct tape and a genital laceration. The three people who Jerry had recruited to lie about the robberies all testified at trial. They were recruited by him for monetary purposes. There was some gain. Cell phone records were presented that very clearly demonstrated a connection between all three parties and Jerry. The case against Jerry seemed very strong. So, I mean, what could his defense possibly be? Why go to trial? What is he going to say? I was really curious because um, sometimes I see a more clear defense here. Do you see anything, any defense before I go ahead and tell you? And he's going to say that he's being framed. No? Kind of. Maybe, actually. I mean, let's just start. I'll say that let's first start with the sexual assault. So I, I can see what the defense was going to be there. They countered the yeah, duct tape evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they said that Jerry's fingerprints was not that were not actually found on any of the duct tape that police collected from Simona's assault. So, you know, you couldn't show that. They refuted the me medical evidence saying that, um, you know, a small genital laceration was not strong enough to support anything other than possibly consensual sex. They also said that Simona's testimony that Jerry stayed for hours ordering food and watching TV while she was tied up didn't make any sense. Why doesn't it make any sense? Is there evidence to refute that? There really isn't evidence. They just said it was a ridiculous story and it seemed like she was lying and making it up and trying to make it worse than it seemed. I mean, so this is their defense to the sexual assault claim that this is, you know, there's really nothing to show. This is what they're saying. But what about those three witnesses and these other claims? The defense blamed investigative pressures caused them to lie. So I guess I could have seen that coming as well. <laughs> so they basically said that all three were documented liars, were three people who lied to the police ahead of time, and then later on cut deals to save themselves. Their argument also was that Simona was just a bitter woman who falsely accused Jerry of sexual assault in order to get her restaurant back. Now, remember, you had asked this. Did they have any proof that Jerry owned the restaurant? Well, the defense presented a bill of sale between Jerry and Simona for the sale of the Golden Crust for a total of $125,000. And the signature looked exactly like Simona's. And she said this in an interview, you know, according to her, she said that signature looks exactly like mine. But I can assure you, I never signed this. 
I never sold my restaurant. In fact, she said something to the effect of that man doesn't have $120, let alone $125,000 to purchase the restaurant from her. But what would the jury think? Well, weren't they able to look at his bank records to see if he did, in fact, have that kind of money? You know, I didn't see anything to that effect, but I have to assume that they they could have looked at it. Also, a bill of sale could have said it's it's like a promise to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he gave her some small amount of money for some reason. I think there could be any number of explanations why he didn't come up with that money immediately. So what would the jury think? Um, the trial concluded after three weeks. And when deliberations began, It wasn't really clear which side would be victorious because while the majority were leaning in one direction, there were some jurors leaning the other way. So which way would they go? What do you think, Amy? I always love to play these guessing games. Sorry. I'd like to. I mean, it seems to me it's obviously guilty, but I don't know. Yeah. It took 10 hours and the jury, uh, it took 10 hours, but the jury found Jerry Ramratton guilty of all charges. Simona gave a victim impact statement addressing Jerry directly and calling him an evil sociopath who needed help. Jerry responded, by the way, he gave his own statement, you know, when they, when they asked mm-hmm. and he got up defiantly saying, you know, fine, this is what happened today, but I'm innocent and this is far from over. There's going to be a lot more to come. So he's just doubling down. Wow. Oh, yeah. Doubling down and defiant till the very end. The judge didn't seem to agree with Jerry, though. The judge was on, you know, the record saying the evidence showed that he was, uh, you know, diabolical, that he was sinister, manipulative. I mean, the judge had a lot of disdain for him. And he also said that he did not deserve any mercy. And so Jerry was sentenced. Jerry Ramratton was sentenced to 33 years in prison where he remains today. Okay, so what happened afterwards? Amy, you had asked about Simona, and unfortunately, during the seven months, she was, you know, during that seven months, she was improperly jailed. She lost her house, her business, and her daughter went to stay with her father during that time. So Simona describes having to completely rebuild her life when she was released. And she went ahead and, just so you probably can figure out, she sued the New York City Police Department and the Nassau County Police Department for claims including false arrest, malicious prosecution, and infliction of emotional distress. I don't think there was any surprise there. The city case was settled for an undisclosed amount, but I think it was, you know, it said undisclosed, but I did a little digging. It looked like it might have been settled for just under a million dollars, but I'm not positive about that. So we'll stick with undisclosed. While Nassau County settled with Simona for $2 million. There were specific detectives named in the suit, but ultimately the suits were settled with the police departments rather than the personal, um, the detectives personally. Okay. So, you know, some, some might say there's some form of justice in that, you know, Simona was able to, you know, settle at least in, in, you know, use that, hopefully use that money to start rebuilding her life. Although I don't think there's any amount that can, you know, redo, you know, she said again that she was a double victim and she was, she was doubly victimized. So let's look at Jerry, you know, when it comes to theory or the why he did this part, this is, he's very complicated. We're looking also at distinct crimes here. You know, the the sexual assault was first, followed by a series of false reports intended to frame Simona for crimes she didn't commit, obviously in order to discredit her. Jerry created a very intricate web of lies. I also want to mention here, while not referenced above, that Jerry had two other people in New York City phone in robberies similar to the three that ultimately landed Simona in jail. 
The reason he switched to Long Island robberies was because the police couldn't identify the perpetrator in the two city robberies. And so they closed the case. And so Jerry was frustrated they closed the case, so he moved on geographically. This required many moving parts, Amy. And in fact, Jerry had brought the three false complainants who framed Simona by her house so that they could become familiar with her and her vehicles. So this was a very carefully constructed long-term plan. Did the individuals who were lying for Jerry, did they get any charges at all? They got complete immunity. No, they did. They took plea deals. Okay. And um, I don't know specifically what, I think it was lying to the police. Okay. For which they got very short jail terms and probation. Maybe like perjury? Would they get, were they like on the stand at all in pretrial motions? Uh, you know, they were. They were in front, they testified in front of a grand jury. So yeah, it was so perjury, perjury or false statements to police or both. But they, they mm -hmm. really did receive short sentences for okay. them. So, you know, this was a carefully constructed plan. It also came out, Amy, that Jerry had previous felony convictions. Ironically, one of them was for robbery. And the other two convictions involved an illegal firearm and get this, impersonating a police officer. Not surprising. But it, you, the irony, he's he had been doing that for years, like falsely indicating on a security consulting website that he had previously served as a police officer. And if you if you think about it, he used his real life to construct this frame job. Everything he had done, he used to frame Simona. So we're looking at, I would say, a career criminal here, Amy. What do you think? Yeah, it looks like it's escalating as well. Does he have a history of violence? Crimes, I'm sorry, sexual assaults at all? Not that I saw, no. Not that I saw for a sexual assault. Doesn't mean that doesn't exist, though. Yeah, of course. I mean, I saw signs of, oh, geez, I mean, it's serious antisocial disorder here. He could even be like full-blown psychopathy. I mean, if you think mm -hmm. about it, he has so many of the traits, Amy, the parasitic lifestyle, criminal history, pathological lying, manipulation, lack of empathy, uh, n narcissism. I also believe that he's very pathological, Mm -hmm. And what I mean there is that I believe that he believes what he's saying in some regard. I think he convinced himself that he didn't harm Simona. Mm -hmm. I think that Jerry is a very, very dangerous man. I think he will always be. And I don't think there will be any type of aging out of crime for Jerry Remretton. What do you think, Amy? How old will he be at release? Well, he was 37 when the crime happened, when he went on trial, late 30s. So mm -hmm. he would be about mid 60s. And he has to serve um, the whole sentence or is he, is well, it an 85? Well, if it's 33 years, I'm, I'm assuming it's an 85% situation. That's why I was estimating that he would be mid 60s. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that he's somebody who would age out of crime at all. It it does not seem like, and I'm curious more about his history, but it sounds like we're not, we don't know exactly. Does he have any history of mental illness diagnosed? So, yeah, I, di I didn't have that information about his childhood or anything. I, the only information I could glean was the um, history of criminal convictions and that he mm -hmm. was a pathological liar, it seems. Yeah. And not a very, you know, not a very good partner in relationships, always lying, always kind of scheming. That's his adult life, though. I didn't mm -hmm. find much about his childhood, so... Okay, so did the criminal justice system get it right? There's really two questions built into this one because this is not as simple. I'm sure that we can both agree that Jerry Ramratton is exactly where he needs to be, like we just said, incarcerated. Yes, I, I do think he is. he's where he needs to be, but that seems like a very long sentence for those types of crimes. Oh, and this will probably be an unpopular opinion, but so it's, it's what, just what's not long. I mean, yeah. oh, because you want to know the breakdown of the sexual assault versus the frame. No, I don't know. I think that I, I just think it's a very long sentence because 
I know people, I've heard of cases where people do more harm to more people and don't get as long of a sentence. Um, I just don't like how our system, I don't like how it's so inconsistent. That's true. I think that I think that's an issue, right? When we talk about deterrence, right? We talk about how a punishment needs to be certain, swift, and severe. When we talk about certainty, it it's really about well consistency. Yeah, and I don't think it's. It just seems like a compared to other crimes, it seems like an exceptionally long sentence. I'm not saying he's not deserving of it. I think that was a fair point, Amy. I think the sentence is fitting for him because I'm more concerned about incapacitating this man. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he needs to be incapacitated for a long time because I think he poses a real threat to society and to multiple people. So I'm OK with the sentence. Um, I think that what happened to Simona is far from justice, though. Right. One of the judges noted that the police had every reason to believe Simona. She had no record. She was a respectable businesswoman and mother. Why would she suddenly begin running around committing violent felonies. Police had access to Jerry's file in the history of violent crimes, and she was claiming it immediately. I'm telling you, please look at him. We've had this bitter dispute. And they dismissed the, the possibility that he was involved in this. So not only is this poor investigative work, I think it was negligent and it just embodies what I would say the very worst of policing. Oh, well, I think we see hints of sexism and racism, too, which I don't think we could ignore. Well, I, you know what you thought? I thought about that as well, but was it really racism? I don't know. They both, Simona and Jerry, were Guyanese. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that they were picking, you yeah. know, one, one over the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm really not sure why they didn't believe Simona at all. In the end, I mean, she was victimized twice, I think. But you know what? what I, I will end this and, and say what's incredible about Simona is her resilience. I heard her speak about how she moved on. And how she does not view herself as a victim. And I'm telling you, this is one tough woman. She's strong. And I have no doubt that while he did ruin some aspects of her life, he didn't ruin her life forever. What is she doing now? Is she back in the restaurant business? You know, I couldn't find anything recent on her. Um, and I tried really hard because I was wondering the same thing. Like, what did she do? I know she settled those suits. I'm not sure, but I would imagine she's, you know, doing something very productive with her life. As she said Mm -hmm. in one of her interviews, maybe she had to go through this to stop Jerry from ever victimizing someone again. And I think that's exactly, you know, her attitude. And that's exactly what she did. And I hope she's as successful today as I imagined she would be a woman of her resilience. But it was kind of a wild story, right, Amy? Yeah, it's very unfortunate. And it highlights... A lot of issues with policing and also with wrongful detainment. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of issues this case highlights, Megan. It's really unfortunate, but I'm glad that Jerry is where he should be. Yeah. And we uh, wish Simona the best. Okay. Before we go today, we'd like to take a few minutes to answer some questions from our supporters. Amy, what's our first question? All right. We have two questions today, Megan. The first question, the supporter wants to know if we are asked to consult on cases. Megan, I know you did a pretty big consulting job not long ago. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? I did. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, last year I was asked to consult on a case where it was actually a civil commitment case. I'm sorry, Megan, do you want to quickly just explain what civil commitment is? Civil commitment would be the it's a forced detention of a sexual offender who is deemed to be too dangerous after serving a prison sentence to be released into the community. And so... What they're attempting to do is send them to a different type, like a forensic setting or a psychiatric facility 
um, until such time when they can be no longer a threat to those in society. They don't pose a danger. So the controversy is that is it, you know, a double punishment because they've already served a prison sentence. The Supreme Court has said no. It said it's for civil purposes. It's for rehabilitative purposes. And it's not meant to be punitive. And in this case, I wasn't actually asked to consult on civil commitment, but I was asked to consult or to report on the experience of black males as they move through the system and at the different arrest points. How much more likely are they to be detained pretrial and what the experience is? In the end, I was not I did not have to testify. And the state was not successful. There was no civil commitment in the end of that case. Amy, what's our second question today? This is a question we get asked a lot. The question says, how do you take care of yourselves while working in this field? And how do you deal with the things you see and or hear through your work? Sometimes we deal with very heavy topics. I mean, we're both really passionate about it. Um, I think that you and I, you know, we're, we're so passionate about it that going forward, doing the research, doing the writing, advocating for certain cases is kind of how we deal with it by being kind of a part of the system and trying to help maybe change it. On a personal level, sometimes these things are very heavy and sometimes they sit with me. I, you know, I talk about some of the cases that have like hurt my feelings and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes even I have to take a little mental break. So. Mm. Just recently, I took about four or five days kind of off. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not touching any of this for a while. I'm going to hang out with my dog. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, do the things that I like. So it could be heavy, but it's a, for me, it's a burden that I, I want to bear because of how passionate I feel. Yeah, for me, I used to listen to true crime content, but it's just too much. So I no longer really watch documentaries on true crime or on you know, cases. And I don't really listen to true crime anymore. So I think part of that is because it's just too heavy. So that might be a way in which I try to separate myself from it. Yeah. That's why you listen to Dax every day, right? And Smartless. And Smartless, mine too. All right. Well, thank you so much for the questions and thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga, edited by Jose Alfonso. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include The New York Times, an episode of Dateline, The Daily Mail, and Sumasar v. Nassau County Case Text. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.